your holiness here today to speak to us through your word and to grow us into becoming the church that you want us to be. In the name I pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. What a beautiful hymn of faith, the holy God of the universe. And yet this morning, as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, which is where we will be this morning, we will see that that God who is and was and ever will be, that God who cannot look upon the sinfulness of mankind without justice, that God who has sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world, that God invites us into relationship with Him and invites us to communicate with Him through prayer. So this morning, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 5 through 13, to familiar passage of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer as it is called. Some people call it the model prayer. If you're trying to find it, go to the New Testament. Matthew is the first book. Fifth chapter, beginning um, in verse... Sixth chapter, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 5. We're going to read all the way through verse 13. We're going to focus mostly on just verses 5 through 9. Stand with me in honor of God's Word, if you would. Here now, for this is the word of God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord God. And Father, in the places necessary, convince us to pray. Convince us of the efficacy of prayer. And Lord God, for those who may be in here with heavy hearts, Lord, I pray that you would convince them this morning that you are the God who hears their prayers, no matter where they've been. We thank you that you hear this prayer. And we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would work through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Beginning today and over the course of the next six weeks, including today, um, we'll be looking at sort of the pieces of a healthy church. What are the pieces of a healthy church? Um, and, and we'll be focusing on prayer, on preaching, um, on discipleship, on evangelism, on a commitment to God's Word, and, and on leadership in the church. Those things are absolutely essential. We can look at uh, uh, what people have to say about the church. Uh, there are people that I, I trust. Mark Dever is a guy that, that talked about nine marks of a healthy church. There are other books you could pick up that are about 12 things that are important for a healthy church. I, I like to, sum up, to, to really boil it down to something we can all remember. And about six is about the maximum for my 
for my memorization. But this morning, we're going to focus on prayer. Healthy churches are built on a foundation of the prayer of God's people. Now, I, I, I want to say that a lot of times when we think about what, what makes up a healthy church, we, we wonder how to get there. Um, but I, I want to suggest to you that, that a healthy church, I wrote this in my newsletter column that you'll be getting next week, a healthy church looks less like a flow chart or a pyramid and oftentimes more circular. Each of the necessary components of a healthy biblical church depend on the other. Good preaching leads to scriptural fidelity or, or just a confidence in God's word. But at the same time, it's necessary for a church to trust in the totality of scriptural truth, for good preaching to be received from the pulpit and for discipleship to take place. A healthy church will be excited about evangelism, but unless there's an understanding of the gospel, they can't actually share the gospel. Imagine trying to share something you don't have. Likewise, sharing the gospel without an intentional process of discipleship is a failure waiting to happen. And when we look at what a healthy church looks like, prayer becomes the hub on which all of these other things turn. So this morning, I want us to wrestle with this idea of purposeful prayer or dependent prayer. And I want to say to you this morning that Jesus tells us right here in this passage of Scripture that if we are going to have prayer lives that make a difference, we've got to be willing to shut the door and get serious in prayer. So my question to you this morning is, are you praying? Now we're going to come back all the way around to this at the end of the sermon, or at least in the third point. You know, my third point sometimes drags on for a little while, so we'll just say toward the end of the sermon. Uh, but we're going to come all the way back around. But I, I want to suggest to you this morning that there's a reason why right here in Jesus' model prayer that Jesus doesn't say... I, I hope that you will pray, or, or Jesus doesn't say if you pray. Jesus says when you pray. There was an assumption on the part of Jesus that his followers would be people of prayer. Jesus did not have to convince his people to pray. Prayer was the natural outgrowth of a person who was depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll say to you this morning... We shouldn't have to convince you to pray. This morning I want to focus on not should you pray. You're here this morning, so that tells me you at least know you should. But how can we pray? Three things that I think will jump out to us. This morning the first thing I think we see from this passage of Scripture is that we should pray with intensity. We should pray with intensity. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. They may be seen by others. But I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and go to your Father who is in secret. What brings about intensity in our lives? One thing that brings about is a time crunch. Isn't that true? When you're against the clock, things really begin to get serious. Cal Newport has written several books that I've learned a great deal from in recent years, and one of those is called Deep Work. And in that book, he argues for the value of sort of deep, uninterrupted work, especially for people who do the kind of work that I do that involves uh, lots of sitting behind closed doors and writing and things of that nature. Uh, uh, he, he argues that this in our, in our distracted age, this is increasingly rare and it's, it's difficult, but he offers several strategies for cranking up the intensity of your work. And one that I've adopted um, over the last, I don't know, month or two or three, I don't, I don't know how long it's been. One of the, the, one of the ones I've adopted is, is using a timer. Uh, when, I, when I sit down to do, especially a writing project, I, I'll set a timer a lot of times. And I give myself, and I'm going to say, this is going to be done in an hour. And what I've found is that there are some things in my life 
that take me three or four hours unless I sit down and say I'm going to finish it in an hour. And it's pretty amazing what can happen if we just sit down and say I'm going to finish this right now before I get up and do anything else. So I'll set the timer and I find that when the time is short, man, the clarity comes, the intensity there, I, I work Harder. Now, it's not only true for writing, but for many things in your life. Think about how quickly you clean the house when that person calls and says, Hey, I think I'm going to stop by. It's amazing how it can go from chaos to presentable in like seven minutes. Right? Don't open the bedroom door. You're locking doors that you're not even sure you can get unlocked just to make sure that nobody goes, Oh, the handle's broken. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've never said that, but I'm just saying. But if you break them on per- never mind. Um, it, but but isn't that true? Man, the time crunch really can just ratchet up the intensity. Normally the intensity in our prayers ratchets up in direct proportion to the adversity in our lives, though, doesn't it? When life gets hard, Christians normally find themselves praying. I know I do. I, do, I know I do. We, we, we laughed during our prayer time this morning. We had a good time in life group this morning as we went around and talked about prayers. But the reason there was, there was joy, so much laughter, was because nobody's got a whole lot of brand new things going on in their life. Nobody walked in this morning into our life group with, with earth-shattering struggles. And as a result, sometimes the prayers, the, the prayer time just loses some of that intensity. I'm going to tell you something. If somebody had walked in this morning on the back end of a tragedy, the prayer time would have been significantly different, wouldn't it? And the prayer in your life is significantly different based upon the adversity in your life. I know this because I've sat with some of you in very difficult days. And as we've sat during those difficult days, we've seen how the prayer lives of God's people grows in intensity and in richness. Let me suggest to you that you don't have to wait for adversity. We can recognize that the days are short. The timer is running and time is running out. And Jesus said, when you pray, close the door. Why would we close the door? Well, Jesus says, first of all, we close the door because we don't want to be like the hypocrites. You're not praying for the benefit of anybody else. Now, there's a place for public prayer. And I want to make sure that we clarify that. Jesus prayed publicly. The apostles prayed publicly. And there's absolutely nothing wrong. It is expected that our, script, our, our worship services, for instance, should be filled with the corporate prayers of God's people. Those things are important. But folks, there should be prayer in our lives that takes place behind closed doors when nobody else knows what in the world is going on because you're not doing it for the praise of people. You're doing it to bend the ear of a holy God. Jesus says, when you pray, not if, He says, when you pray, shut the door. So we shut the door so we won't be like the hypocrites, but... Why else would we close the door? Maybe we need to close the door so that we can pray without interruption. So that we can pray with intensity. My office, for those of you who don't know, is right back there. You're invited there sometimes. Not all the time. Because sometimes I have to close the door. Sometimes I need to close the door so that I can focus on the Lord in an uninterrupted way. 
Sometimes I even take and I cover the window with a piece of paper. It's, it's nothing fancy. It's just some manila folders that I've taped together. And I just tape it up there with a piece of duct tape so that nobody can see in the door. Now, it's, it's for two reasons. One of those reasons is just to be totally honest. If I'm, if I'm on my knees in prayer before the Lord, I don't really want an audience standing at the window watching what's happening in there. It's just a little creepy to me to think that some of y'all would walk by and just kind of peek in on me while I'm in prayer. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems a little awkward. But you know what? It's not just because I don't want y'all peeking in on me. It's also because I am easily distracted. Right? I've got the attention span of a gnat. Which is not very long. And that means, some of you are shaking your head. Y'all could be a little bit more encouraging, right? Some of you could have looked at me with like shock and amazement. <gasps> no. But anyway, everybody just went, mm-hmm, yeah, just like that. Well, I mean, you don't know how many head nods I just saw. Um, I'm going to find a new church where they'll appreciate me. This is ridiculous. Even the choir is making fun of me. Okay, but, but, but that's... <laughs> I just illustrated it, didn't I? That's exactly what I just did. Man, this is awful. But I, I, I will cover that window a lot of times, not just because I don't want your prying eyes peeking in and I feel like awkwardly uncomfortable in case my shirt rides up while I'm on my knees praying or something like that. I cover that window because I need to focus. And see, here's the thing about me. I like y'all. I even love some of you. I enjoy being with you. Most of you I enjoy talking to. And if I see you walk past my office, sometimes there's just this urge for me just to slide out of my desk or wherever I'm at and walk on out in the office and see what's going on. Hey, how's your day going? Right? I, I, I need to shut the door and cover the window. Sometimes I even have to turn on some music because the walls back there aren't very thick. And if I hear your voice, it'll just distract me or take me away from the things that I should be doing. Folks, can I suggest to you that just like me, all of you at some point in time need to shut the door and cover up the window and spend some time with the Lord, uninterrupted. For me, I have to get up early in the morning before I'm going to have uninterrupted time at my house. That's hard sometimes. I don't always like to get up early in the morning. But man, I find that by writing my prayers out for me, that helps me to really ratchet up the intensity in my prayers. It helps me to really focus on what's going on. And not everybody is that way, but I've got a journal. A lot of times I just write a page or a page and a half or two pages of prayer to the Lord. I can really tell when, when there's, there's an urgency in my prayers because if I go back and look, those pages are just filled with scratches and, and, and slop because my, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with my brain and my pen won't work quite, quite fast enough. Folks, we're supposed to pray with intensity, with eagerness, with passion. Jesus said, shut the door. Let me ask you this morning, what do you need to pray for? What do you need to pray for? Who do you need to pray for? And then let me ask you this. Are your prayers worth a time investment? Are they worth it? Do we believe in the power of prayer? I'm going to tell you, if we believe in the power of prayer, we might find ourselves spending more time in prayer. We might find ourselves even occasionally turning the radio off in our car and crying out to the Lord as we drive down the road. We might do that. 
We might find that when we bow our head over our lunch at our desk or at that restaurant that our prayer to the Lord is not, God bless this food, you know. We, we do a little bit better than bless this meat and Lord God bless me so I can eat or something like that. We might find ourselves praying over that food and then praying for the person that waited on us or praying for the persons that we love or praying for the parents that need Jesus or praying for our children who are broken. We might find that Paul's words to the Thessalonians ring true in our own life that we are praying without ceasing. Intensity. I had a high school football coach and you know when you get into high school football, everybody wants to be intense. Everything's intensity, intensity, and I'm okay with that. But uh, for him, his thing was do everything 100 miles an hour. And I, this is the one that sticks out with me. He said, do everything 100%. He said, when you open a door, I want you to open that door 100 miles an hour. I don't know how we didn't have people to get concussions from, from doors in our high school because the expectations, when you open that door, man, you open that door. When's the last time that we went to the Lord and we just and we just banged on the door of heaven with intensity. Lord God, bless me for I am a sinner, but God, I need you. You know, sometimes these stories about prayer get, they become the, the stuff of myth and legend to some degree, and we don't ever know for sure. There was a lady, her name was Bertha Smith. Any of y'all old enough to remember who Bertha Smith was? She was a missionary. Um, and uh, very, very common name among Southern Baptist life for a number of years. She's been dead now for probably 20 years. But uh, Miss Bertha Smith was actually from Calpins, and the house that she that she lived in after she came back from the field um, is is there in Calpins. It is now um, it's now a faith home. It's a, it's sort of a halfway house for men. And um, but uh, the, the, the story there, and I don't know if it's true, but the story that is told, Miss Bertha was known as a woman of, of great prayer. And the story is told that there in the upper room in her house, it really was an upstairs room, you know, the upper room, not like Jesus, but just an upstairs room, that uh, she had a, a chair where she prayed. And, and the story is told that there were indentions in the floor where her knees were every day crying out to the Lord. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I didn't see it. But I'm just curious. Are there indentions in your floor? Have you left marks in the chair where you've prayed and cried out to the Lord? Pray with intensity. Number two, pray with anticipation. Now listen. Listen to me. Some of you are listening to this right now and this seems very legalistic. I want you to hang on. I want you to hang on. Some of you walked in here today and your life is heavy and you're burdened and you're going, Craig, the last thing I need to hear from you is how I need to pray because right now I'm not sure that my prayers are making it past the ceiling. Just hang on, okay? Just hang on. Just hang on for a minute. We're going to get there. Don't, don't check out on me. Number two this morning, I want to urge you to pray with anticipation. To pray with anticipation. Not just with passion and with, and with, um, you know, and, and, and with intensity, but with, with an expectation... That God is going to answer. It is a tough time to be a Tennessee fan right now. And for those of you that don't know, they lost again. It is a tough time to be a Tennessee fan. But in spite of their struggles on the field, the University of Tennessee made news this week for something that's pretty cool. A little boy at an elementary school in Florida 
um, was a part of a, uh, their, their school had college colors day and they were to wear all their, 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 their team shirt. And this guy was a, Flor- a Tennessee fan in Florida, which must already be hard, right? When you're wearing that color orange in that place, it's not a good thing. It's tough. But he was a Tennessee fan. He didn't have a Tennessee shirt. So what he did is he made his own. He, he took an orange shirt and he colored himself. He, he made a, a, just a, a UT uh, logo and he pinned it to his shirt. Now you can imagine, it's elementary school, so he got picked on pretty bad, got made fun of. And his teacher felt bad for him. And his teacher got on Facebook or some social media platform. And the teacher just said, you know, I, I feel really bad for this guy. She didn't put his face, but just a picture. She said he tried so hard, and, and I thought he deserved credit for his, for his creativity. She said, but, in, but instead, he's just, been, he's just been picked on. Is there anybody that knows somebody at the University of Tennessee that could just help me to, to really lift this poor kid's spirits? Well, she didn't know what was going to come on the other side of that. But what happened is somebody at the University of Tennessee saw that message. And somebody at the University of Tennessee wanted to step up and make a difference in this little man's life. And so they mailed him a package of University of Tennessee swag. And I mean, we're talking about a box like this. It showed up with hats, shirts, foam fingers, pennants, the whole nine yards. This kid goes from having nothing to looking like the world's greatest University of Tennessee fan. But they weren't finished. Because they were so touched by this young man's story, they actually took his t-shirt design, that piece of paper that he had drawn U of T on, and they took that, and they took it to their designers, and they created a special t-shirt with his design on it that said U of T, and they sold it on their website, and they sold it with part of the proceeds going to combat bullying. And it sold so well that that t-shirt crashed their website this week. They might not can win a football game, but they are winning at life right now, folks. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something. If you're a University of Tennessee fan, you still got something to be proud of today. Hold your head up. I hope Billy Sparks listens to this podcast, by the way, for those of you that know Billy. You know, that lady didn't anticipate anything like this. She put that out there. She she hoped that maybe she'd get a hold of like an autographed t-shirt, an autographed hat, just something to, to kind of brighten that little kid's day. She didn't have that kind of anticipation. Why should she have? She didn't know anybody. She just threw it out there on a hope and a prayer. Folks, listen to me. She didn't know anybody. Did you pick up on that? You know the somebody that matters more than anybody else. Man, we need to pray with anticipation. We need to pray with expectation. Jesus said, don't be like... Nope, sorry, got too far ahead. In verse 6... When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. You ready? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's nothing like having little kids and being a dad. All right? Now, as they get older, they're not near as cool. But when they're little, they think you can do anything. Right? They think you own the world. They think you're made of money. So they walk in and they don't mind asking you for, you know, the, the moon because daddy can provide it. They get a little older and they realize you can't. And you're not even as half as cool as you wanted to be. 
But who do you pray to? Or in a more proper grammatical fashion, to whom do you pray? Where are your prayers directed? Those of you that are afraid they hadn't made it through the ceiling, let me give you a word of encouragement. You're not praying to the ceiling, so it's okay. Because your Father in heaven hears your prayers. Let me give you a few verses to cling to this morning. Do you expect God to answer? Jesus said that He hears you. How about Mark eleven twenty four? Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. I believe that sometimes in the evangelical church, and I have been guilty of this, I believe that sometimes in the evangelical church we work so hard to fence those statements. We work so diligently to sort of litigate or or, or brace ourselves, guard ourselves against quote-unquote litigation. That we say, we, we do something like this. Well, you know, if it's God's will. And we pray like that, don't we? God, if it's your will, I hope that you you, you will. Listen, it might be, it might be that God doesn't answer all of our, matter of fact, it will be that God won't answer all of our prayers in the way that we anticipate or in the way that we want or in the way that we pray. But y'all, we got to move past praying safe prayers. We've got to get past it. We've got to go to the Lord as a beggar looking for food. We've got to hold our hand out and say, I got nothing and I need everything. We had a hurricane that just came through and y'all, it devastated the Bahamas. Devastated. You all know that. You've seen the news. It's awful. How dare we pray, Lord God, I hope if it be your will, maybe you move this hurricane and I have it come here. Do we see Jesus? Jesus did say, Lord, if it's your will, take this. But if not, but did Jesus say that flippantly? See, we couch it. God, if it's your will, okay, whatever. The Bible says that Jesus prayed and blood came from his pores. There was was a passion in his prayers. But he expected that God would hear. He knew that God would answer. Jesus teaches us to pray with anticipation. In anticipation that God will hear you and that God will answer you. Listen to me. I want to speak very clearly and plainly and loudly to two people this morning. It might only be two persons. It might be two groups of people. But two people this morning. First of all. Those of you who have been or are like I have been at times, praying safe prayers, stop! We need to be like that three-year-old kid that walks into his dad and asks for a Lamborghini. Right? My kid doesn't know. 
At three years old, they don't have a clue. They want the Ferrari. Daddy, can you buy me a Ferrari? No. Why? You've got a job. I like them. You should get one. They're cool. What if we had that kind of childlike faith before the Lord? What if we did? I heard a story just this week of a man man who gave his life to Christ in his mid-30s. You know, what brought him to Jesus? A praying wife. A praying wife. He said, he said, when she stopped talking to me and started talking to the Lord for me, he said, God got a hold of me and I couldn't get loose. Don't pray safe prayers for the salvation of your family. Move past, Lord, if you would. No, He can. And the Bible says that it is His des- desire that all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Go beat on the door of heaven and say, God, please. So for those of you who have been praying safe prayers, quit. He might tell you no, and that'll be okay, because his no is a good no. You understand? His no is for your good and his glory. Go to him and pray it. Now, if he says no, you trust him. That's what Paul did. Did Paul say God? He said, God, take this thorn from me three times. What's that mean? That means, if I I read that right, then then there there were three times that, that, that God said no. That means that there were at least two times when Paul didn't listen. (laughs) Right? Paul said, whoa, God, I must have misunderstood. Paul said, this is more than I can bear, Lord, take it. And finally, the Lord said, my strength is sufficient. Paul understood that God's no was for his own good and for God's glory. So quit, quit praying, safe prayers. Number two, the other person I want to speak to, whether it's one person or a whole bunch of you, listen to me. Listen to me. God loves you and wants to hear from you. I don't know what you've been through, and I don't know what you're in the middle of, but the devil will convince you That God doesn't want to hear your prayers. The devil will convince you that you're not good enough for God to hear your prayers. You see, the devil doesn't bring conviction. The devil brings condemnation. There's a difference. The Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin and tell you where you were wrong and drive you to repentance in Christ. The devil will condemn you for your sins and tell you you are worthless. Listen to me. Those of you that have heard that lie, maybe you heard it this morning before you got in the doors. Maybe you've heard it as I've preached this morning. Maybe as these, 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 these words of mine have come to you and seemed like heavy rules that you couldn't bear. And the devil has said, you can't do that. Listen to me. You can't, but God can. And you don't go to the Lord in your strength. How do we pray? We pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we generally add, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. But where do we get the amen? The amen says, it is finished, or that's it, or... Absolutely. But how do we generally pray? We don't don't finish with just the amen. What do we say? 
Some of us get into this rote memorization, but we generally say it this way, in Jesus' name, amen. Why do we do that? Have you ever thought about it? We do that because it is the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the empty tomb of Jesus, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus that gives you access into the throne room of God. You say, Craig, you don't know how dirty and filthy and sinful I am. And I say, it don't matter because the blood of Jesus is enough. To cover all of your sin. You can go to the Lord with anticipation. Not because of your goodness. But because of Christ's righteousness. Y'all should be a little bit more excited about that than you are. Folks, this is the best news on planet earth. That your sin has been wiped away. And that access has been given to you. Into the very presence of God. Do you remember what your sin does? It separates you from God and those you love. But the cross of Jesus Christ closes the chasm that your sin has created and brings you into a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Pray with anticipation because Jesus is enough. Then finally this morning, pray with humility. Pray realizing that you need God and God doesn't need you. Some of you need to hear that. This isn't quite as nice as the other one I just said about those of you that are hurting. Some of you don't hurt enough. Some of you have experienced great success because of the Lord's blessing in your life. But you don't give God credit and glory for that. You tell everybody how you did it all on your own. You did it your way, just like Frank Sinatra. And I'm here to tell you, there will come a day in time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Pray with humility. Your prayers should admit your weakness and God's strength. We live in interesting times. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, prayer was an expectation. But it was an expectation for everybody, okay? you got to understand that everybody prayed. The idea of atheism didn't really exist in the first century. Okay, Matter of fact, the idea of atheism doesn't really gain a lot of cultural traction until the last 500 years and really the last 250 or so years. All right, Up to that time, we live in what one author said in a giant brick of a book was an enchanted time. People understood that the world was a spiritual world and not just a physical world. But the age of reason and modernity and even the rise of the Industrial Revolution has allowed people to be more in control of their own lives. We can't control the weather, but we don't have to depend upon the weather anymore. Nobody has to pray for the rain to come because they can irrigate their crops. As a result of that, we have the rise of, of intellectual or academic atheism. But I want to suggest to you that that's actually not near as big of a problem in our world as practical atheism. There's a difference. Some people say, I am an atheist, and they try to live consistently like one. Other people say, I'm a Christian, and they try to live like there is no God. What do you mean we try to live like there is no God? You're going about your daily life, doing what you do. You do you, and you don't worry about anybody else. You certainly don't go to the Lord and ask Him to intercede and to help. You don't give Him glory and blessing and praise and honor. Do you realize that it doesn't really matter how it is that you came to the Lord? He brought you there. Right? He brought you there. You say, no, I, 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 I 
I came to Jesus. Listen to me. He put somebody in your path to share the gospel. No, I, I picked up my own Bible. Okay, fine. He put you in a country where Bibles were available. He caused you to be born. Right? I can assure you, you didn't pick your mom and daddy, and you didn't pick the day when you was going to be born. The Bible says when you were knit together in your mother's womb, He knew you. He knew you. You think that all those opportunities in your life haven't come about as a result of God's blessing in your life? Well, I worked for everything I got. That's exactly right. You did, but you don't have cancer and you've been allowed to, 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 to succeed in that. You do. You know, may, maybe you've been so successful that nobody sued you yet to take everything you got. How many of you can look back on your life? How many? We don't want to raise our hands on this. How many of you can look back on your life and just be so thankful that you didn't grow up in an, in an age of smartphones because you know there's a few videos that could be made of you right now that if they existed would ruin you? Well, be glad that you didn't live now as a teenager. During Jesus' day, the disciples didn't have to be told to pray as much as they had to be told how to pray. Why? Because everybody prayed. They didn't all pray to the same God. They didn't all pray to the right God. But just like us, as we've seen, everybody worships something. And you worship something. If you don't worship the Lord, you worship yourself or you worship the dollars that you make. You say, I don't worship my money. Really? How many of you think that that money that you made is going to get you out of everything that you got? Right? You're not praying to the Lord because you've got enough money to pay for whatever you need to do to get you out of wherever you are. We all worship something. In the first century, everybody prayed. Jesus didn't have to tell them to pray. He had to tell them how to pray. We no longer live that way. Unfortunately, atheism is regular and practical atheism is even more common. Many people live as if there was no God. Practical atheism is shown in a prayerless life. We don't pray because either we don't believe that God will work or we don't believe that He can work or perhaps we just don't believe that we need Him. <clears throat> Prayer is a humbling exercise. Because to pray is to admit that you can't do it and that you need help. Just look around. What are the things that you can't control? What are the things that are beyond your power? Go to Jesus. He will oppose the proud. But he will elevate the humble. Go to Jesus. We live in a world where humility is almost a bad word. And yet, it is one of the most common descriptors of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Suffering servant of Calvary who humbled himself to the point according to the book of Philippians of even death on a cross. So there's my question this morning. Are you praying? See, that's not the question the disciples had to be asked. They had to be told how to pray. 
my question for you is, are you praying? Like, are you really praying? We're, we're, we're working through this sort of church checkup thing because our church is undergoing a, a lot of transition in recent months. Good things, not bad things, good things. But we've got to make sure that, that, that we're doing the right things. And if we're going to be a church that honors the Lord, we've got to be a church that's filled with prayer. But a church is made up of people, which means that we've got to be a church filled with people who are convinced of the importance and the necessity of prayer. It means that if we're going to be a healthy church, you've got to be people of prayer. And we've got to be concerned that you understand what it is to be in a relationship with the Lord. And so my question is, are you praying? Maybe you've been soft in your prayer life. Can I challenge you this morning to pray with passion and intensity? Would you go to the Lord and recognize the needs in your life and the needs in the world around you and take life seriously? When you take life seriously, you'll take prayer more seriously. Will you sweat in your prayers? If you believe that God can, it'll be amazing at how quickly you begin to ask God to. You say, God can what? God can anything He wants. Because nothing will be impossible with God. This afternoon, we're going to have equipping studies. And one of the equipping studies, Angel and I are going to be leading right in here, is, is, an, is, is, a, is a study on, on marriage. Do you believe that God can actually bring marriages to life from death? I do. He can. And I can tell you about them. That valley of dry bones that Ezekiel saw can be true in your own marriage. Do you believe that he can? Will you pray to the Lord? What about that unbelieving spouse? Will you believe that he can save them? Will you pray to the Lord? I still love to tell the story of the 70-year-old man that we baptized on the back end of him receiving the prayers of his wife and of his family for years and years. And God saved him. Will you believe that God can save your children? If you believe it, then for goodness sakes, bang on the door of heaven. Sweat in your prayers. Let's pray with intensity. Will you believe that God can use your church to make a difference in this community? Will you believe that God can actually allow us as a church to love Him and love others and to change the world? Will you pray for your church? Will you pray that the church will make an impact and make a difference? Will you pray that people will be saved? Will you pray that people will be discipled? Will you pray for your pastor? That he'll, keep, that he'll be holy and pure before the Lord? Will you pray with passion and intensity? Not so the rest of the world can see. Will you turn the radio off and sit in the parking lot for just a couple of extra minutes before you go into work and pray, Lord God, use me to make a difference. Will you pray with anticipation? Folks, if you give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father long to give you good gifts? And will you pray with humility? You need Jesus. You need Jesus. Every person in this room, you need Jesus. Those of you that have been saved 
for 50 years still need Jesus today. Those of you who don't know the Lord need Jesus today. You see, you can't do life on your own. Now, some of you don't need to be convinced of this truth. Some of you showed up here broken and beat down, and you know that you can't do life on your own. Some of you showed up here not convinced that Jesus needed to hear from your life. Some of you showed up here and you you limped in wondering if there was actually a place at God's table for you. Some of you crawled in wondering if perhaps the heavens had been welded shut so that your prayers could not penetrate. I want to take us back. To last Sunday's prayer or last Sunday's sermon. Do you remember last Sunday? A woman named Mary. A woman named Mary who gave all that she had. A woman named Mary who walked into a room with an expensive bottle of perfume and she looked there at her Savior. And she anointed him. She gave it to him. She trusted him. I want to remind you of another woman named Mary. Who was perhaps a prostitute. Who Jesus saved. I want to remind you of a young blind man. Whom Jesus gave sight. I want to remind you of the broken who have been made whole of the sinners who have been saved and of the promise from God's word all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved of the promise from God's word that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness of the promise from God's word that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear But in the time of temptation, He will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to stand up under it. Of the promise from God's Word that His burden is easy and His yoke is light. Of the promise from God's Word that beaten down though you may be, there is a balm in Gilead and His name is Jesus. of the promise that we receive right here in Mark chapter 6 that you ready your prayers won't be heard because of the many words that you can heap up but because of the love of your heavenly father who hears and of the promise that Buster read to us just a few moments ago that the Holy Spirit will intercede on our behalf so I ask you this morning will you come today Will you come? You come and pray, Lord Jesus, I can't, but you can. Perhaps you don't need me to pray for you. Maybe you'd like to come around this altar this morning and pray, Lord God, I have been weary. I've been tired, but God, you are enough. 
Maybe today's the day that you need to come and pour it out before the Lord. For a husband or a wife or a child or a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend. This is where we finish, so I want you to listen closely. Jesus loves you and he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful that you desire to hear from us. Hear our prayers, we pray today, Lord God. And as we lift our voices, may our praise, Lord God, be acceptable. But Father, as we sing, I pray that the words of your word would sink deep into our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would work in us, among us, and through us, that your word wouldn't return void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with us as we sing this morning. I once was lost. I once.